Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now this week, I'm joined by a popular and sometimes polarizing guy. His name's Pete Evans. He's a mate of mine. Pete's a chef, he's a restaurant owner, author and TV presenter. Many of you know he's a judge on My Kitchen Rules, and he's been on there for the last nine seasons. Now, he's made a name for himself, talking about health foods. He's a health food guy. Paleo eating, and it's always banging on. And he does bang on about wellness and the importance of wellness and health. And now he's extending those thought processes into the food brand for your pets, a healthy food brand for your pets. Healthy Everyday Pets launched in May this year with the mission of creating the healthiest pet food on the market. I want to talk to Pete about how he took his healthy eating knowledge and applied it to pets. And more importantly, I want to know a little bit about what drives this guy. Where's his head at? What are the things that have influenced him to make the sorts of decisions he's made? What are his successes and his failures? Let's get into it. Pete Evans, welcome to The Mentor, mate. <laughs> Mark, thank you for having me, mate. It's a long time since we've known each other a long time. It's been a really long time about getting together and actually doing a podcast or something like this together. I'm looking forward to this. Me too. Mate, um, I, uh, for all, all these years I read about you and I've been watching you on television and I see you around the place and, um, and I've often wondered what is it that drives Pete Evans to do and go about things the way he does. Let me take you right back. I mean, I don't know, you're probably 40. <laughs> yeah, 44. 44. Nearly 45. Right. Okay, yeah. so let's take you back 20 years. Who were you? What wow. were you doing then? So 20 years ago, I was same person I am, Pete Evans, trying to work out life, express myself however I can. Uh, but I guess from the age of 17 to 37, for probably 20, nearly 20 years of my life, I was what you would be what you would call a chef. That was probably my, my biggest identity because I worked 80 hour weeks. I worked hundred hour weeks. It very rarely did it, did it fall below 80 for those 20 years. And I'd have a week or two off every year to go surfing somewhere, somewhere beautiful and tropical. Uh, but for those 20 years, I guess my identity was wrapped around trying not to go broke in a business that is very, very difficult. And that's the restaurant industry. Chefing your own restaurants? Yeah, with uh, with my brother, with my father, with two other business partners as well, two other mates. So that was a really large part of my journey and my existence and helped me become who I am today because uh, it's tough. 
you speak to any chef that's out there or anyone in the industry. I mean, all industries are difficult, but uh, chefing is pretty, pretty bloody hard, I tell you that. And especially when you run your own business, you, you're invested in it more so than anybody. It's not a job for you. When you're a small business owner, you are, you're in over your head. You know, if, if there's bad weather that week, if you're running a restaurant, you're going to lose money if it's based on location and it's however it works. So it can be a very, very challenging time, but it also can be very enriching for a young person to be involved because there's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of risk. <laughs> there's a lot of fun that can be had as well. So as a, as a young 20 year old, uh, I pretty much am 30 year old. I experienced pretty much everything there was to offer good, bad and everything in between. <laughs> and when did you get bored? <laughs> when did I get bored? Uh, I never really got bored with the craft because Here's an interesting thing. When I started to do television, which was pretty much about 18 years ago, and I've been cooking, I've been cooking now for 30 years. And interestingly enough, cooking was never my passion. It never was. It became one. Well, I taught myself how to be good at it. And I had a maths teacher when I was in high school and I'll never forget the one piece of advice that he gave me. It wasn't even advice. It was just, it was just a tap on the shoulder. And he said, Pete, you will be good at anything you put your mind to. And that one piece of advice is the, is the best piece of advice I've had from anybody in my entire life. More so than my parents, more so than my, anyone in my family, more so than any partner that I've ever been with. This one teacher just said, looked at me in the eyes and I was good at maths. I liked how numbers worked. I like that systematic understanding. Patterns. Patterns. But that one, that one comment changed everything for me. I was like, okay, somebody that believed in you. And my advice to any parent out there or any boss or any colleague that's listening to this is if you have the opportunity to encourage someone and it can be as simple as one sentence, please take that. And, and do it for your children, do it for, for yourself, even, you know, tell yourself that you're going to be great no matter what you do. So you're not one of those chefs, because you know, I've spoke to quite a few chefs who, who, are, who always just wanted to cook food. No. You know, right, but but you, what you realise is that you became good at it and therefore you wanted to cook food. Well, here's the interesting thing. I love numbers. I wanted to be an accountant. I failed at English at high school. So at that particular point in time... If you failed English, you couldn't get into the university to be an accountant. Right, yeah. That was Obviously. a prerequisite. Prerequisite. I was like, why would I need English to be an accountant when it's all about numbers? So that sort of was a little bit of a disillusionment for me and a, and, a, and a smackdown. So I looked at all the trades that were available. You know, you either go to university 25 years ago or you get a trade. Yep. Or you sell dope. <laughs> or, or all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> or at least two of the above. Well, a lot of my mates ended up going down to selling the dope path until they worked out what they wanted to do. And I, and I wanted to move out of home at the age of 17. So I needed a job and I didn't want to do anything illegal. I thought, oh, I better legitimize myself. And I looked at the trades, mechanic, plumber, hairdresser, uh, electrician, builder. None of them interested me. And I thought, well, what about cooking? Cooking I'd already been doing a few years at some fast food restaurants for pocket money through high school. Did I love it? No. But I thought, 
out of all the trades, what's the one thing that's going to benefit me for the rest of my life on a personal level? If I learn how to cook at the age of 17 to 20, do an apprenticeship, at least then I will have a life skill that will benefit me for the rest of my life. It'll benefit me uh, nutritionally. It'll benefit me if I have a, if I have a partner or a wife or kids down the track. So I thought, let's roll the dice. So I started it after a year. I wanted to get out of there because it was a very, it was a very tough industry at that particular point in time. Lots of drugs, lots of alcohol, lots of hierarchical uh, embellishment. So there would be physical and mental abuse on a daily, daily basis. Um, And I stuck with it reluctantly uh, through family influence. It's something I've learnt now that uh, maybe I should have just followed my own intuition and and taken a different different path, but it has led me to where I am. So I'm grateful for all of these experiences, and it wasn't until I had to wrap my head around how to actually enjoy it and be good at it. How'd you do that? Uh, one of the main reasons was actually doing a, a course with Anthony Robbins. You mm-hmm. know, when I was 19. And setting goals, again, boosting that self-confidence, motivation, anything you put your mind to, you can achieve. So through that, um, and looking at the landscape of my competition, the other chefs that were in the industry, as I touched on before, a lot were into alcohol, a lot were into drugs. Uh, I looked at the playing field and I thought, do I stick with this? And will it be easy to rise to the top? of this uh, industry or do I go elsewhere and have to relearn something and then try to get to the top of something? I mean, my motivation has always generally been to get to the top of something. So are you naturally competitive? I wouldn't say competitive, but I'd like to achieve. Yeah. So it's more a a, a personal self-achievement as opposed to I want to beat that person. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But looking at the industry at the time, I was like, wow, where, where are the, where are the movers and shakers in this? Because everybody seemed to be shaking things for different reasons mm-hmm. and moving things for different reasons and partying seemed to be the, the driving force instead of building and growing and, and evolving um, like a business or person personal uh, development. So lo and behold, that became my focus. And one of the things that I was not unconfident or not confident was my own creativity skills as far as being a chef. Because going back to it, being a chef is really simple. It's following a set of instructions or a list of ingredients and cooking them in a certain method. I can teach anybody to do that. There's no, there's no magic to it. It's, it's a system and it's a very simple system once you know the basics. Where is the magic then? Well, the magic then, it depends on what, how you define that. Do you find that through creativity of new recipes? Of like Heston new ingredients? Blumenthal, like that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. And I see people like Heston Blumenthal or Rene from Noma. They're artists. Hmm. They, so that's magic, artistic magic. If you, if you view that Theater. as magic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, and, and they're disruptors. They yeah. like to, to, to challenge people's notions about what food is and mm. what it can be. And, so can I just stop you there? Because yeah. what you're saying there, because for someone who's not educated in this environment, um, what you're saying there as a disruptor, those individuals 
are disrupting the concept of food. They're making food not just about the nutrition or the taste or whatever, but they're making about the theatre. To the, a degree. The theatre of food. Yeah, to a degree. Yeah. They, they're, they're putting their own stamp onto their own industry. They're mm. being their own creative and authentic self. And we've seen a lot of people copy that. And that was never part of my journey, so to speak. But I did push myself to be creative for many, many years because I felt like it wasn't a strength of mine. And doing that, so basically for, for many years while I was in Sydney, I used to go and watch every famous chef that was either came to Australia or traveling around Australia. So I'd go and do classes with Christine Manfield, Tetsuya, uh, Neil Perry, Matt Moran, Peter Gilmore, uh, all the, the famous chefs of the time. I'd go and sit in their class whenever they did a cooking class because I wanted to learn from the best. I wanted to understand how they got to be at the top of their chosen field. And I studied them. I studied how they spoke. I studied how they cooked. I studied their philosophy on food until I got a grasp of, I guess, my own identity, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. You emulate and you, you study the best in field to work out what resonates best with you. You know, and I didn't copy anybody, but I took the best of what I could see from all of these, I guess, leaders in the chosen field that I was working in at that particular time. And I loved it. You sort of borrowed. Yeah. You, you looked at the best model and you borrowed those parts which suited you. Yeah, and then adjusted and, and fitted them into either the restaurant that I was working in or, or owned with my business partners or into different parts of my life. Because then I'd say to these, these people that ran their, the workshops, I'd love to come and talk for you. I'd love to come and teach you something. And it took me years until someone said, okay, we'd love to have you. And so did you do that? Did you dis, did you succeed in that regard by just being a pest and just keep <laughs> asking people? Because I, mean, I did that by being a pest. Or did you? do you think there's something about you that they saw? I mean, how, how does that work? I mean, because why, why, why did Pete Evans get chosen to be on television as opposed to all the other blokes who are out there trying their ass off too? Well, it's interesting. And uh, I'll get into the television thing, but even to this day... I mean, even this morning on the way here, I'm emailing people that I want to learn from. Hmm. And I, it's, it's really fascinating because I've, I've had people in my life, very close people in my life, that are afraid to knock on somebody's door and ask the question. Whereas I'm the complete opposite. I'd love to go, G'day, it's Pete here. I, I just read your book. I think it's profound. I would love to talk to you more about it. Or I've just read your book. I'd love to talk to you about possibly partnering up and going into a business together. Or I've seen you on television. I, my name's Pete Evans. I'm from the other side of the world. You probably don't know know me from a bar of soap, but I love your message. I want to know more about it. I'm. I walk into. So you're front. I approach different businesses and say, I want to partner with you. I really like what you're doing. Or can we develop something together? I like to work with people that uh, can develop uh, develop ideas and uh, are leaders in their chosen field. So, well, okay, well, because I tell you what happens to me: people come to me all the time, and I, I do, the, and they do that. What you just said, and unfortunately, I like I read it most of the time. I don't answer it because I think to myself: if I answer it, I'm just encouraging them for something that I don't really want to do. I'm mm -hmm. just reading what they've sent me. Um, so people, are, there's a lot of people that are doing that, Pete. Like, mm -hmm. And they and they, is it because you spray broader? In other words, you 
spray like instead of someone just sends one thing to me, they might send it to twenty people. Do you spray broader in in, in to get discovered, or and or is it because you are Pete Evans today? And you've had a TV show, and you've had restaurants, you've had success, you've got books, you've got a whole lot of, you've got a big background. Is that the reason why people respond to you? Well, not all of them respond to me. Okay, so what <laughs> is it though? Because these people who say sending stuff to me, they're all there, they're trying to do the same sort of thing you're talking about now. They send me stuff through LinkedIn, they send, and I'm just one example. But why? How is it? How can these people who are listening to this show? How is it that do you think that they can get more success in how they reach out, trying to get people like you or me to respond to them? How do you do it? I mean, what what was why have you been successful? Why does Pete Evans get chosen? Is it because as I said, he's a pest. I mean, I probably didn't shouldn't use that word. Is it because you're consistent and you just did a broad and broad and you kept going, you kept going, you kept going, or is it there's something in your personality or in something in your offering that someone goes, oh, hang on, I like that word you used, or I like that language, or I liked, I like what I read about him. What is it? I think it's being authentic. I think it's. It, it's the only way we can be is authentic. And so, authentic means? Being yourself. And take one more step. Is it because when Pete Evans is authentic, um, like a lot of people out there who are disruptors, they rub some people up the wrong way and some people up the right way? Well, that's up to the person that's uh, being not rubbed, sanitized. I guess. They're not sanitized. They don't, they don't sit there and think, how am I going to say this that I don't offend somebody? Whereas Peter says what he thinks, when he thinks about it, but genuinely what he believes. Yeah, oh, for sure. And uh, I wouldn't say I'm a cowboy, but I'm probably not as polished and professional as some people would like. You know, if I reach out to somebody, it's it's a usually one sentence email or two sentence. I don't even have a signature on my email. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just a g'day, it's Pete, Pete Evans. Uh, it's my website, blah, blah, blah. Keen to have a chat, you know, at, at a time that's convenient to you. Roll me back 10 years ago sure. when you weren't Pete Evans, sure. the, 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 the brand. Yep. What would you do then? So, well, let's take a step back because obviously the TV thing seems to be one of the catalysts uh, that you alluded to was why I have this perceived fame or recognition. So television came about because I was working in a restaurant with, with my family and with their business partners. And I got a phone call one day. It was just after Jamie Oliver exploded. Hmm. Exploded in the good way. Like he, he exploded yeah. onto television. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And cooking became cool. Because hmm. uh, prior to that, you know, us growing up in Australia, we had Peter Russell Clark, we had yeah. Bernard King. <laughs> Bernard King, yeah, yeah, I remember that. But they were our celebrity chefs, yeah. you know, and... and there was, was a great. French duty too. It was a French guy. Uh, there was some guy around around the same time. Peter Russell Clark. There was a French guy. I used to uh, Gateau, uh Gabriel Gabriel Gateau. Yeah. Was, yeah, it was fantastic, and that was my experience of what a TV chef was. And then Jamie popped up, and all of a sudden, TV networks around the country uh, were looking to do new type of programming around food. <clears throat> and Foxtel had just started. It was in its early years, and uh, one of their channels was called the Lifestyle Channel. Yep. And I got a phone call from one of their producers at work saying, uh, we'd love you to come in. We've been told that uh, you might be a good fit for our show. And uh, I said, no, 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 that's, that's something that doesn't interest me at all. I said, I'm in the kitchen. I'm already working so many hours. I said, I'm really shy. I have no desire to be a uh, center of attention in that medium. 
And I said, you'd love my business partner. My business partner, he's in Melbourne. He's got the gifts of the gab. He's uh, funny. He, he can, he's spontaneous. He's everything you're after. So I gave them his details. And two weeks later, or a week and a half later, I got another call. And they said, hey, it's, it's so-and-so. We'd really like you to come in and audition for this role. And I was like, okay. It's the second time. I, I never ignore something when someone approaches me two times for something, you know. So I thought, okay, there's something in this. There's something in the universe that has, is offering me up op an opportunity here. And it scares the shit out of me. Like it, it, honestly, I was the shyest kid at school. Like if I had to do a book report, I'd be shaking in front of the class, which is probably why I failed English because it, it affected me that much being in front of so many people, a classroom of people. And I, I was extremely shy. And I think that's why being in the kitchen was such a great tool for me because you could hide in no, the, the kitchen. Yeah. But I liked leading. I really liked running a team and I really loved building up the shy, insecure, non-confident kids that came into my establishment as well. That was my greatest joy was giving them the confidence. And I'd have these kids come in and go, okay, you're on the pass today. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to. I, I can't do that. I'm meant to. That's not how it's meant to go. And the other chefs would be like, you know, you can't put someone up on the pass and What's calling that? that. The pass is like uh, the the barrier between kitchen and the waiters or the floor where the food goes up. Right. And they call the dockets. Right. So we need three chickens on table 10. We need this, this. So I get the first year apprentices up there doing it. And in the hierarchical old system, you'd have to be in the fourth year or qualified to do it. I go, no, fuck that. I want you to come up here because you don't have the confidence I want to give you and show you that you do have that confidence and it would change their whole, their whole dynamic. And, um, so going back to being off at the television, it was like, okay, here we go. It's something's pushing, something's offering. So let's do it. So before the audition, one of my customers was a fellow called Peter Mockery, who was an acting mm -hmm. teacher. He used to come into the restaurant every day down in Bondi at Hugo's and, I said to her, but mate, I've got this opportunity and I, I'm really scared about it. And uh, he gave me an hour, little one-on-one. -on -one. Next day I went and did the job and I got the job. And, uh, it, and it's fascinating because it took me about five, five to six years. And I went and had therapy of different types. And I still do. You know, I've, I've, I saw a, a fellow that I've been seeing for 20 years. And I have been seeing him for 20 years. I've probably had a thousand sessions, minimum. Of one-on-one -on -one therapy types of therapy, yeah. yeah, different types. I wouldn't nothing. Not like a psychologist, but no, I I explore different types of thera therapies that are out there: energy, uh, spiritual, uh, emotional. But that you're trying to do it though to improve yourself or to fix things to improve, improve to evolve to, evolve. to understand yourself, myself, mm. because we all our our identities are shaped from a very young age through our parents, through their fears and insecurities, our culture, the society's fears and insecurities, media, mainstream media, television, our teachers, our education system. So our authentic self becomes harder and harder to identify with as we keep getting these layers of our identity that are based around fears and insecurities. So by doing work on ourselves to find out who we are, who our authentic self is, we peel back those layers and we're like an onion. And it's a pretty thick onion with many, many layers. So over the years, 
I have, I've had a, a vested interest in myself to learn more about how I think, how I feel, how I view the world, how to navigate this world in a way that really benefits me and benefits others by being my authentic what, self. Why does Pete Evans seek the truth? Because, <sighs> you know, like people I know who do that are forever seeking the truth. To, to some extent, the truth avoids us. We because we're evolving, as you say, we don't really ever ever find out what out. We never find out what the truth is, and there's, and where do you get the energy to do that? Um, like you're still a young guy, but where do you get the drive, the energy, and what is it that wants you to seek the truth about yourself? Well, there's there's a deep down, I guess, interest there too. From my understanding and from my truth, is we have one life. Okay, so you, you take an atheist view, so to speak. Yes. Okay, this is it. This is it. Yep. What are you going to do with it? Mm. You know, and I don't like to use the word purpose. I, th- I find purpose is a, is a bit of a throwaway word, and and uh, people can get confused with it. But how do you want to be in this world? What do you want to experience? How do you want to show up? Do you want to do you want to be a victim, which a lot of people are? Do mm. you want to blame everyone for your situation because I can tell you right now you are responsible for every single thing that happens in your life Mm. and how you respond to that is completely up to you. So this is something that I've been fascinated in for, for, as I said, for 25 years from being that shy kid. Why was I shy? Why did I want to hide from the world? Why did I think that I didn't matter? Why did I allow people that are closest to me to, I guess, treat me in a way that uh, didn't allow myself to express myself openly and freely without criticism. But you're, you're, you're polar opposite now to that person, but are you comfortable being polar opposite or are you still that person? I'm comfortable learning more about myself hmm. and I think it's an ongoing process. Do you think there's a, I mean, I sometimes experience this myself, but... Do you think there's an element of performance? So do you ever think to yourself, I'm Pete Evans and I'm performing today in whatever it is you're doing and I'm going to put on a performance for this. This is my performance for this like, <laughs> Your, podcast today. Our mask. Yeah. Our masks that yeah. we wear. Yeah, the, and today's performance is blah. For sure. And we all have that. We all have that, I guess, default identities that we go into. And the more and more that I go along this journey, the more and more I seem to be more of myself in, in every situation instead so you, you, of trying you, you, to put on different masks. That, well, different it's interesting things. because you remember the movie The Mask. And yeah. um, I, I just, because I, mean, I often thought about that movie and I was wondering whether what he was trying to say was or whoever the director and or producer was is you know we have a number of masks masks that we wear we are a number of performances and someone might say well what's the real Pete Evans is he somewhere curled up in a fetal position in a corner on a Friday night where no one can see him or is the real Pete Evans all of the masks that's that's who you are you are all those those, you are all those those performances that is the truth there's nothing wrong with that no 
But and you just have to accept it. I mean, which one is it? Is it are you all of those things, or is the real Pete Evans? Are they all just performances? The real Pete Evans is uh, sits there on a Friday night in front of the footy like Norm on the TV ad, cranking a few beers and uh, sitting there in his undies and a blue t-shirt, blue singlet. <laughs> I mean, where, where are you? I mean, because I often, I mean, I, I keep doing it about myself. I want to know who I am. Am, yeah. I, am I all of those things? Is that really me? Mark Boris sits there and does a performance on a TV show, then goes and does a speech down in Melbourne in front of a crowd, and then, or is Mark Boris, is it really Mark Boris? Is he the re- really the guy who actually likes to get in his garden on a Saturday and get his hands dirty and just pull weeds out and plant f- vegetables and stuff like that? I don't know. You're all of them because you have preferences and likes. As long as your preferences and likes are not a result of fears and insecurities, mm. they're from things that you want to do. You know, like today, you invited me onto this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, fuck it, I'd love to come and have a chat with you. What a what a wonderful experience. We've we've sat together on a plane once and had mm. a chat. Mm-hmm. You know, and I promised you I'd send you the books, which I forgot. Which to I now do. have. I got a, everybody. I got the books sitting right in front of you with, with his signature inside. Because uh, well, that's interesting, Pete. Because uh, I, I, we've got to go to a break, but I do want to talk about this. Um, we have a whole industry of people who try to tell us how to behave yep. and or guide us in our behaviour behaviours. I mean, apart from governments and legislation and police and all that sort of uh, nanny state stuff where they tell you how you got to eat and live and walk and dress and speak. The Matrix. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and then and then on top of that, you have a, an industry of people who try to tell you how to behave properly, like psychologists and psychiatrists and they try to socialise you within their constraints. Yet, it seems to me, because you know, I've read the criticism that you've received in the in the media. And by the way, who are the media to criticise you? I mean, they're no experts in anything, other than experts in being critical. Um, I, Pete Evans, that I read about, basically goes about saying what he thinks based on his experiences. That's my gut feeling, and it doesn't seem to bother you. Does it bother you? What people say about you? No, and and when you if you're in a space where what somebody else says about you or uh, implies about you and that you take offence from that, then you know that there's something wrong in here. You have a weakness. You have a you, weakness in your argument. Well, or your belief in in the love for yourself. Mm. Really, if you can be affected by what other people think about you, then you don't love yourself completely. Because if you love yourself completely, it means you love everybody else completely as well. And my take on it, I mean, these people are just doing their jobs. And once you know the game, you know the game, mm. mainstream media. It's to sensationalize. It's to get clicks. It's yeah, to, totally. It's not about sharing the truth. If it was about sharing the truth, it would be a very different society that we live in. All we can do is share our own truth as we feel it, as we see it. And we all know the truth deep down of who we are. Mm. So we know those masks that we put on from time to time or ongoing just to please your family member or to please your wife or to please your husband or to please your kids. so that To please your audience. Yes. Whoever it is. Whoever that is. But how often do we do things just to please ourselves? And what do you think about this? Should be, do you think we should have more balance in pleasing ourselves? I think it should be the, the ultimate thing. I think once we get to know does who we are... Does it mean we're selfish, Pete? Does it mean we're no, being it doesn't selfish? Make, no. 
Because yeah. that's something, you know, I grew up in a Catholic, Catholic environment. That's what a Catholic school would have told me growing well, up. Well, we could talk about religion for the next day if you wanted You're to. You're being selfish, Mark. <laughs> no, no, because it's, 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 a, it's an anchor that we all we have. You're right. I mean, I, I agree with you, right? But I'm just saying for the people listening, and particularly if you're trying to go into business, if you're going to try and do something a new business, if you're going to try and do something new and radical, a lot of people think, oh, I better not do that because it, it might upset somebody. And and but I'm and then you start to challenge yourself with you actually believe in the thing that you think you really want to do instead of going to work every single day in the job you're currently going in. Um, the, some people firmly believe they should be trying something brand new, some idea they have, something they've noticed they think is a a change in the marketplace. But a lot of people don't do it because of guilt and because they're not pleasing everybody else. They're doing something that's different to what everybody else, else is expecting of them. They are being selfish. Now a lot of people think that. What would you say to that? Well, I, I can only say, and I don't like to give people advice. It's How would you deal with it then? How do you deal with it? My understanding and through my own experiences and perception of my own choices in life is that when you do something for somebody else that doesn't feel congruent for yourself, you might spend 5, 10, 15, 20 years doing that until you have a crisis or until you work out that I should have followed my gut. I should have followed my intuition. I knew that I shouldn't have gone down that path. Even though you learn lessons along the way and you can join the dots and go, but how long have you wasted to actually do the thing that you want to do? Because if you look at the world's, I I guess the iconic people in the world, in business Mm -hmm. or in, in any field, the ones that succeed are doing the things that they want to do, regardless of anybody else. And the ones then that succeed generally help so many other people in that process as well. And it doesn't have to be everyone. You don't have to help everyone. No. And it's, it's fascinating because I had an experience about a month ago. I was in San Francisco and I was doing, a, uh, doing work on myself through, through, um, through some different medicines, for instance, and the realization, one of the realizations that really that came up for me in, in this uh, experience was that something I've held on to all my life, and it just was front and center through this experience was, Pete, you're not here to help anybody other than yourself. And all my life, I've felt like I've had to join the dots for my family. I've had to join the dots for people that... Uh, that need help, that all of these things that I've had this burden or this weight, I feel like, oh, I'm that guy that needs to help people, you know? And all of a sudden my own voice came up and said, everybody is responsible for their own actions. Everybody is accountable for their own choices. It is not for you to worry about. All you need to worry about is your choices and obviously, as a father, you have responsibilities, or as a parent, you have responsibilities for a period of time to your children to make sure they're, they're, they're fed nutritionally, um, and that they're housed and they're clothed and they get a, an education of some sort for a period of time, and then sort of get out of the way for them to discover their own unique and beautiful selves. But, so that's my, again, not advice, but we all know the choices that we make each and every day, whether they're going to serve us or serve somebody else better. And so many people put other people before them and 
which, which can be noble, but generally that's coming from a place of some sort of fear or insecurity. They want the recognition to be helping somebody. Hmm. And once you can help yourself, it's like the plane, you know, they, when the, the stewards come on and they say, if there's a problem, put your own oxygen mask on first before you help anybody else. Yeah, and because you can't help anybody else if you're going to pass out. That's right. That's, that's perfect logic to me. So when you have your own fears and insecurities and you're doing things to please other people, are people going to show up for you as well? You know, it, it, it's so, such a simple concept when people understand it, but it's so difficult for people to break out of their patterns, which is why I always, that's why I do the work on myself as well. Well, we're going to get a break, but I'm, I'm having a, a fascinating discussion here with Pete Evans and sort of digging right into his thought processes, which sort of to some, some extent explain why he does what he does with the amount of passion he does with it and the way he actually spreads it out. So he does, a lot of people might think that Pete Evans is going down a path that's going to get him into trouble, but Pete's not thinking that. He's actually doing something that he really believes in and he's done it through discovering stuff about himself and he constantly works on himself. That's... Super important. And I think everybody who's listening to this, remember this. At the end of the day, whatever you do, however you want to be perceived, make sure that you are looking after yourself first and foremost in a noble way. I'm, the, I'm talking about right, a right thing, doing a right thing. I don't mean you know, become a drug dealer first and worry about everybody else. I'm going to talk about doing a right thing, but do it something that is right for you and then spread it. So we're going to go to the break, and when we come back, I want to talk to Pete about what is the latest thought process that he has turned into disruption in his business life. From my experience in running businesses and talking to lots of small business owners on my podcast and the TV show, I know one thing, and that is the struggle, it's real. That's why I built mentored.com.au. You can buy, you can sell, you can feature your business, you can get access to exclusive deals and lots of great offers. There's also a huge resource of educational content and you can tap into our network of mentors for help and advice with your business anytime. You want to learn, you want to connect, you want to grow, visit mentored.com.au today. Okay, well, we'll be back on The Mentor, and I'm sitting here with Pete Evans, and I'm having a fascinating conversation. And we did talk about some of Pete's life early days, and what I'm sort of gathering from this is, you know, like I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he's sort of a bit radical, a bit out there. He, and I don't mean in the in the concept of, um, um, well, I'll put it another way. I mean in a concept where he doesn't conform with the norm. He's not doing what everyone tells him he should do. But he's not just doing being out there because he wants to be out there, you know, like promote himself as I'm, I'm cool and I'm sort of a bit esoteric, I'm out there. He actually thinks about this stuff and he challenges the norm. And we often talk on this program about disruption or what is a disruptor. And by definition to me, a disruptor is for me, and, and this is the um, Christensen who came up with the original concept, concept of disruption, said it is a change in the way we do things in a sustainable way. In other words, it will be the way we do things for the future. So to be a disruptor, though, not only do you have to have a good idea, you actually have to have a certain personality. And Pete Evans has that sort of personality for me. 
You have to be prepared to take risks. And it's not going, oh, there's a risk in this. Oh, okay, I'll take it. It's not like that. Um, by definition, they're doing risky things all the time. They're just, that's how they are. We, we looking at someone like Pete Evans and say, God, he t- takes risks, but Pete Evans doesn't think they're risks. He's just doing it because he thinks that's the right thing to do or something he wants to try out. So, Pete, how, what's your view on risk-taking in business? Well, business is, is, is really interesting. I've been <clears throat> self-employed since the age of 19, and I also am employed to Channel 7, for instance. They're, they're my boss in one of my roles, one of my jobs. Everyone thinks that's my only job, but I actually host three different TV shows around the world, one in the US, one in New Zealand, one in Australia. Um, are they all, all MKR? Two are MKR, and the, the American one is a different show where I actually get to cook. <laughs> so one of those old school cooking shows where uh, I get to work with America's top chefs, go to organic farms. Uh, beautiful. It's on PBS. It doesn't get shown here in Australia, but I've been doing that for six years as well. And um, But talk about taking risks in business. So I have a very simple philosophy, and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening will respond to this or, or it'll resonate with you, is that I like to create concepts and ideas that I believe will benefit society or I see a gap in the marketplace of something that I I believe should be out there. So for instance, we can talk about my latest movie, which has just been released on Netflix. What's it called? It's called The Magic Pill. It's a documentary. Yep. And I had the concept or the idea of, I want to put a documentary out there because at this particular point in time, no food documentaries have done it well. They're not giving the right information out there. About what? About how to live a healthy existence using food as one of the tools for health. So, and And I- Can I I explore that a little bit? What the magic pill is about the type of food or when you eat or how often do you eat? It's about everybody looking for a magic pill. Right. For everything. Mm. whether it's for, for, for life or love or business or everything, when in actual fact we, we have all the answers. We've always had them. So the magic pill for, for me for this documentary is it's nature. It's, it's understanding our evolutionary history, what works. And we filmed with uh, Indigenous up in Arnhem Land, and we also talk with different Indigenous populations uh, from over the globe, as well as our modern-day people that are suffering modern-day illnesses. And we just show how a simple change, like the most simplest change to eating some meat and vegetables or seafood and vegetables, can have a profound effect on people's health and well-being. Instead of? Instead of the standard Australian or standard American diet or Western-style diet. And it's interesting, walking here this morning, I was early to our meeting, and I walked around the food court downstairs. None of that looked like food to me. None of it. I looked at every stall and I was... I was like, that's not food. If people are eating that, there is no one, there's no, there's no wonder why people are 70% overweight, sick, why there's 2 million people with diabetes in this country, that's 10%, why there's half a million women with polycystic ovarian syndrome in this country, why there's 800,000 people with eczema that the medical people, the doctors say cannot be cured. Whereas I share story after story after story and illustrate story after story with doctors that are getting results of people reversing their eczema, reversing type 2 diabetes, uh, reversing their autoimmune 
diseases. Reversing polycystic ovarian syndrome. I mean, in a matter of months, like time and time and time again. But they're not going to do it by eating that type of food that is downstairs that people choose to eat. And um, so the magic pill was going back to taking a risk. I believe that something needed to be put into the marketplace. I went, I'm going to do it. I've never made a film before. I had no idea what it was. Was it challenging? Fuck yeah. And you uh, produced it, directed it? I funded the whole thing. Right. I paid for the cameraman. I booked the cameraman and the director's airfares, accommodation. I... I put it all together, so I executive produced it. And here it is in Netflix, and it's been picked up for the first year. Now it's been picked up for a second year. It's been translated into all different languages. Netflix says it's going gangbusters. And here's this little thing that, you know, cost me half a million dollars. I get Netflix gave me 40 or 50,000, whatever it is, you know. Will I make a return on my investment on that? Financially, probably not at this particular point in time. But will I make a return on investment as a gift to humanity? Uh, already. Already. It's, 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 if, if it'll change one person's life, which it will, then that to me is, is a good product to put out there into the world. So I don't have a manager. I don't have a PA. I do everything myself. I, if someone wants to contact me, they just contact me. There's, there's no filter to get to me. Uh, and I respond to people. I respond to everything, which is why I negotiate with my publishing uh, contracts. I negotiate with my network, Channel 7, for instance. I negotiate everything that has to do with me, myself. So, which is very unique in this probably Complete. world. No, it is unique. As far as... Especially know, if you're really busy. I mean, it'd be different if you just got one gig. And I'm not even busy. In a relative sense, you say. In a re- I film nine to ten months a year. I write two or three cookbooks or books per year. I teach. Uh, I'm a father. I'm a husband. And I still don't feel like I'm busy. So what, how Because it doesn't it? feel like work anymore. Yeah, it's not work. Therefore, you're not busy because you love doing what you're doing. So you're not working. And I, and I say no to a lot of things. I say no to a hell of a lot of things. That one, either I don't have time for or it doesn't resonate with me. And I'll tell you what, the, I... Probably could have made a lot of wealth by towing the line and going down the mainstream mm. route of, mm. of promoting certain items that are out there that will bring ill health to people. But I chose a different route. And it's interesting, you've got one of my books there. And I'm the number one, as far as I know, nonfiction uh, author in the country for the last few years, as far as that goes. We outsell Jamie Oliver. We outsell every other chef. I think most chefs 10 to 1, if not 20 to 1. And I'm still pretty much the only chef in this country that promotes health style books. And I've said to other other mates that are in the industry that are chefs, I said, there's, uh, there's a good business in this and you're doing good for the community. Like the amount of people that have shared their stories of, regaining their health. I mean, I've had more 60 people in their 60s, 70s and 80s say that they feel better now than they ever have in their entire life from following these simple, simple um, uh, formula. And that is a profound, 
profound thing because pain goes away. And what I love about it is not really people getting healthy. It's the next thing that happens. So what happens when somebody starts to wake up and feeling energized? What happens to their whole life? It doesn't matter what age they are. But you know this better than anybody. Is you want to create. You want to express yourself in whatever means that is. And that's, that is our only purpose here on this planet, is to express ourselves creatively. And for each and every one of us, that'll be different depending on our likes and preferences. And it could be through the fact of dance, it could be music, it could be art, it could be film, it could be business, it could be volunteering, it could be any number of things. It'll be a creative outlet for your being. Now that is difficult to do when you're in pain, when you're tired, when you're sick, when you're on medication that affects how you think. So could you imagine a world, and this is why I do what I do, is that imagine a world where everyone's waking up feeling fantastic. Imagine the energy, imagine the output, imagine what the repercussions are on family life when a parent wakes up feeling good and energized to react, to react to their husband, their wife, their spouse, their children, their work colleagues, going into work to create something and feeling fresh and feeling enthused and, and ready to go, ready to change the world. Could you imagine that? And then go to the next level where the fears and insecurities are not so pronounced. People are doing the work on themselves to understand who they are. Because each and every one of us has this amazing gift to share with themselves and with others. So that is why I do what I do. And I don't see myself as a disruptor of sorts. It's just what I'm passionate about is the human potential. And through my history of being a chef, it seems easy for me to talk about food in that context. But food is one, one large element to the building blocks of health and well-being. You have to take into account the water that you drink. You have to take into account the sleep that you get, the movement that you get. Are we getting enough sunlight, vitamin D? But more so than anything is how are we communicating with ourselves internally and how are we communicating ourselves to the outside world? And if you think about, if you're worried about how people are going to perceive you, then that's a fear, which is something that I it's interesting, don't you know, have. It's interesting what you just said. I mean, <clears throat> uh, it is sort of, you're not a scientist, but it's, who knows what a scientist is, but it's very scientific. Um, and you're talking about um, um, energy and uh, yes. you talk about uh, um, the power of a, one person having a brand new energy, how, how important that is and how powerful that is. But then you sort of say, well, imagine if everyone in the country had a brand new energy and how, how much power there would be. And it doesn't mean, <clears throat> I'm not talking in terms of, uh, you know, aggressive power or anything like that. I'm just talking about like power of well-being, the power of happiness. And it, it, I'm, I'm curious that you should say this because um, I was talking, had, a, had to do a talk the other night and um, I, I'm... I'm mad in that I like, I'm mad at, uh, I love mathematics and stuff like that, similar to yourself from what you just said. And uh, I did a calculation the other night. Um, so I sat down and worked out um, if I applied um, Einstein's theory of energy, so an energy calculation equals MC, MC squared, I, um, I did it to myself. I said, okay, 
if I um, and I made it relative, I then uh, I said if I my weight is eighty five kilos, <clears throat> that's my mass, and C C stands for the speed of light, and speed of light is three hundred million, um, approximately three hundred million meters per second. But so my my mass eighty five kilos by three hundred million squared. Uh, I did the calculation, and it comes out as equivalent to one point eight six million megatons of TNT, equivalent to that. So the energy of an 85-kilogram person um, using E equals MC squared is 1.86 million megatons. A megaton is 1,000 tonnes. If I just said, if if you then said, well, Mark, what is that relative to anything in the world? Um, When they dropped the atomic bomb on um, Hiroshima, no, Nagasaki, not the Hiroshima bomb, but the Nagasaki one, and and I'm not... I, I should preface this by saying I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not in favour of this and I'm very sorry what happened, but just in a re- re- relatable sense, that t- that bomb was the equivalent of 76 megatons of TNT. Mm-hmm. So 76 megatons or 76,000 tonnes of TNT in one bomb knocked out a whole city. You, at 85 kilos, are equivalent to nearly 80,000 times that in terms of energy because E is in MC squared equals MC. That's energy. We're all energy. And now the energy, when you think of someone has that energy, why isn't somebody actually expressing it in that energetic term, in that energetic sense? Because the whole atomic issue is about releasing the energy that sits in something. You can't release, I can't release energy in you or Hugh over here, our producer or myself, unless I have the right inputs. In order to get that 1.86 million megatons of energy out of Mark Boris or out of Pete Evans or out of Hugh Humphreys over here, you've got to make sure that the there's there is a magic pill. What is the thing that m- makes you be able to release that energy? And it's health, and intention. And you and then, but without your health, your intention won't be clear either. Yeah, true. So I think whether it's low carb, high fat, or whatever, I don't because you're you're the guy. You know this stuff. But you've got, we have an obligation. I think all of us to find what that thing is that's going to release that relate that energy, and. I'm I'm a big believer in food being the first thing, well, what the, we put in. It's the easiest one for people to change, even though people have addictions, but it all comes down to a choice. What are you going to choose? You know, and we get that choice three times a day if we do choose to eat that many dishes. Uh, generally, I eat one to two dishes a day, depending on my output. You know, I was just surfing in Fiji with my daughter and I surf six, seven hours a day. I'm 44 years old and... And I ate a lot, three big meals a day because I'm doing that. But very rarely do I do any exercise in my normal life. So I eat one to two meals a day, but they're delicious, beautiful meals. And talking about, I, I guess, being healthy, I mean, I have a 10-week program called The Paleo Way, which I've just released for free now. And in the last two weeks, so the last two weeks, we've had 20,000 people sign up for free. It's there. And that was always my intention when I set this up. It cost me... A hell of a lot of money. Tech is not my thing. <laughs> I've worked that out. And uh, I set this up with some friends and and we tried to make 
money out of it, you know? So eventually we could put it out there for free. It still owes me about a million dollars, you know? That would see, be seen as a bad investment possibly from people outside. And that's cool. I don't care what anyone thinks. But I've gotten to the point this year, I was like, either I get somebody to help me and, and invest more money to make it bigger, or I change it, get rid of the support team, make it the standalone thing and just have it there for free. And it'll probably cost me 50000 maybe $100,000 a year just to have it run. And at the moment, I thought, I'm okay putting that out there on my own money, 50 grand, 100 grand, whatever it is for the maintenance and the upkeep. To have that as a gift for the next year, fingers crossed, I'm probably going to put a donation thing on there so hopefully people can donate and half will go to charity and half will come to pay the cost. Pay, pay the cost. People may pay, people mightn't, but it's going to be free if people want to have it as well. And in the three and a half years that we had it running, we had uh, 50,000 people do the, the, the program. But in the last two weeks, I've had 20,000 people sign up. So nearly 50%. And what's the general feedback? I have not had one person do this out of the 50,000 plus now the 20,000 that has said they haven't improved their health. And you would think that in this day and age, they'd be coming out of the woodwork saying, it's a load of shit, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. I'm sicker. Not one person. So we have a 100% success rate if you go on that basis of people improving their health. So an improvement health mean means um, the magic, they're, or they're energetic, or uh-huh. well, it's, it's energy, isn't it? Yeah, it's about it having is. more energy. And that's the goal. When so, you wake up in the morning, you're not you're able to get out of bed, or when you wake up in the morning, you're not aches and pains, and you can't get out of bed. I mean, that's is, are they the, the benchmarks? Be, you can be your authentic self, and then, as I said, the magic then happens. You know that relationship between people, relationship in the community, relationship with the planet. Relationship with self is obviously the most fundamental. So my goal now is, or the intention with the program, how many people in Australia can I get on this for free? Can I get half a million people? Because what will happen if half a million people start eating this way? Well, I know what's going to happen. The way we shop is going to change. The way people farm their food is going to change. Because everything is supply and demand. Everything is based around the dollar. So how do you make change on a, on a large scale is create demand, create demand. Mm. Things will change. Mm. I mean, you look into a supermarket these days and it's very different than it was five years ago. Yeah, totally. There's kombucha and there's coconut yogurt, there's activated nuts, there's low carb cereals. It's, it's happening and it's Mm. happening bloody fast. Look at people's cupboards is different. People's cupboards. I mean, I was only thinking the other day, I mean, I wouldn't have had, a bag of walnuts and a bag of um, cashews and a bag of uh, pecans and things like that five years ago. Yeah. But now I'm not, I was just looking and I was, got, you know, I've got all those sorts of things in my in my cupboard now, and yeah. and, and they're all got. I won't say. Well, well they got. I buy them from the macro part of uh, Woolworths. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's lots of places I can buy these things, but you know, just but it's there now. I would never. Well, you would never have thought of that before. I would never have seen something like that at Woolworths before. Yeah. And I, and I just, now I go to Woolworths because I know there's a section where I can go get all those things and it's pretty easy and I just put them in my cupboard. It's it's quite interesting the way I've changed my own my own diet. Um, probably eating more nuts and things like that now, but I, and I, but, I, but I pretty much stick to the sort of diet you're talking about. I mean, it suits my body. Um, I don't eat a lot of carbs. I do eat things like sweet potato and stuff like that, but I don't eat a lot of carbs, but I do eat fish and 
meat less regularly, but more fish and chicken, um, and a lot, a lot, of, a lot, a lot of vegetables, a lot, yeah. lots of vegetables, um, and like I love olive oil and I love. Um, cottage cheese and feta cheese. I love those sort of things. I'm, I'm mad for that sort of stuff. And my, my, new, dessert, my new dessert at night, because I, I love, I, I don't never used to be like this, but I, I love after my dinner to have something sweet. So what I now do, I've got a beehive, I, only one beehive in my farm up in Byron. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and I love it. I've got one too, flow yeah. hive, yeah. And uh, I'm getting quite a lot of honey out of it. So what I do now is every night I, um, I, I get the cottage cheese and I put some nuts on top, crushed the nuts, and then I put a bit of cinnamon over the top of that, and then I put the honey, uh, just a spoon of honey. Actually, it's sort of like um, it's nearly exotic for me, you know. Like it's <laughs> it's just the cinnamon and the whole thing going on. And Recipe I'm, coming to you soon. I'm, I'm, Mark I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty much addicted to it, to be honest with you. And uh, man, it's sort of healthy, relatively speaking. Um, there's nothing unhealthy about it, really. I just made sure. More recently, I've changed the cottage cheese because the one I was using had a bit too much salt in it. I didn't realise, but it's really salty. It's probably why it tastes so good. Um, but now I've now I just reduced it down and I've got a different sort of salt content. But those sorts of things I would never thought of years ago. I would never have done that. Well, exactly. I mean, we've just released a, a pet food that's uh, hopefully coming into the supermarket soon. But at the moment, it's on our online and also in uh, specialty. Yeah, I want to talk about it. what's it called? Healthy Everyday Pets. Right. So again, I saw that um, I've got a dog and. We had a cat that uh, we just gave to our neighbour actually uh, this year because he's got an 11-year-old daughter and uh, we live on a farm too. We have two places, one in Sydney, one in the farm up near Byron as well. And uh, anyway, long story short, is that looking in the supermarkets and also pet food stores, the food that's available there to feed your pet, you know, it is like the food that's downstairs. It's junk food. It's it's food that is going to cause inflammation, no matter which way you, you look at it. And dogs get sick a lot because of that. Well, more and yeah, more and more dogs. I mean, uh, and cats, skin issues, digestion issues, joint issues, and joint issues, huge. And all you have to do is compare that to humans as well. We have joint issues. We have autoimmune issues, skin, hair, the whole thing. It's funny that, eh? Yeah, it's it doesn't take a scientist mm-hmm. to work out that there's something wrong. So, um, and you look at what's in pet food these days and the first three things are generally some sort of grain, some sort of legume and some sort of freaking uh, vegetable oil or something that's just makes no sense whatsoever. And we understand why they, they do it is because it's cheap. Hmm. Again, everything comes down to money. That's, hmm. it's, it's simple. Um, <clears throat> but it's not doing your pets any good. Which so, ends up costing more because you end up taking them to the vet. Correct. Yeah. And then the vets... A lot of them, not mm. all of them, but quite a few, quite a lot of them, promote that food mm. that, if you read the label, has still has potatoes. It's got peas. It's got yeah. rice in it. It's got and how many dogs eat potatoes? I mean, generally speaking, like in the wild, I'm talking about. I mean, no, they're not going to be eating but potatoes or peas, yeah. and, and they're not going to be they're not going to be digging up um, beans and peas or whatever it is legumes out of the ground. So, so. I mean, yeah, so I really love this this idea, by the way. So you've come up now with a a pet food that is took us a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. did it working with a leading pet nutritionist because we've got raw food, yep. which is ideally four what, pets, four pets, yeah, 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 which is ideally what they should be eating a, yep. a raw food diet. It's a species specific diet. Yep. So if you think about every species on the planet, including us, we have a, a diet that's specific for us, which will give us optimal health based on our evolutionary history. Dogs are the same, cats are the same, horses are the same, cows are the same, humans are the same. It's, it's bees, mm. the, the whole thing. It's, it's, 
It's not rocket science. So you've taken it back. You've taken it back to where they started from. So yes. You, and what did you do? Did you develop in a commercial sense? Yep. So we've got the the, the wet food, yep. which a lot of people. What's that mean? Wet frozen or wet wet raw, which can be refrigerated or frozen. Right. So basically, it's raw meat. Yep. Okay. And how do you buy that? Will you, you can it, buy it in patties, basically frozen or fresh, yep. and then feed them to you. What does he mean? Uh, not yet. Not yet. If you're listening, hopefully. Right now, but, but right now, <laughs> the, you, there's an online. There's online, and then there's specialty pet stores around the yeah, country. So, what's the online called? Healthy Everyday Pets. He- Healthy Everyday Pets. Yeah. Com. Dot au or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You can go to my my Facebook page or website. Well. Right. And uh, find all. And it the gets delivered. And it gets delivered. Right. Yeah. And we also have raw organ treats, so raw freeze dried livers, heart, lung, which you know, as a treat, it's so many people feed their dog treats. That are carbohydrate based. It's yeah, yeah. cookies and crap. Yeah, which chocolate. Is, which is going to f- kill your dog yeah, eventually. Yeah, totally. I don't I mean, understand why people do it. We're all going to die. Yeah, you're right? not being you're not being nice to your dog by by th- throwing them a biscuit or a chocolate or something. They will go nuts over a raw, freeze dried liver or heart or lung over something sweet. I guarantee it. You put it in front of any dog or cat, and we also have a dried food version, which isn't optimal, but that's what the market dictates. So we went, and it was funny. You over, mean like kibble? Kibble, but, yeah. But it's a bit, it's a bit, it's Because it's cooked. Yeah, okay. But it's, but it's, but it's not wet. It's, 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 it's and it's, there's no grain in it or anything. Correct. Like so yeah. it, it was funny going back and forth with the manufacturer. They're like, we can't do it to your specifications. I said, well, fuck it. We won't do it. We just won't have it as a product unless you can hit these, these markers as far as percentages go and not having the fillers in. Finally, we got it. And the manufacturers, because the manufacturers make for most of the companies, they're just like, it's the best thing we've ever seen. It's the best thing we've ever seen. This is going to change. This is going to change the pet food industry. Well, this is an example of, I mean, it sounds simple to everybody, but this is an example of disruption. So if you can change the way consumers buy for their pet, food from the shelves and supermarkets in wherever or, or just buy food for their pet, then that is a true disruption in my view because well, it changes the way things are done. Well, people maybe think about what they feed their children. Yeah. Some people feed their pet better than they feed their, their own. Wow. I mean, would you ever I – mean, people that let their kids have Coca-Cola, for instance, would you ever put that into your dog well, bowl? I, you dog? know, it's funny, it's funny you should say that because I, I was listening to an ad on the radio and it's in a good old Coke um, – they were doing promotions for people to buy Coca-Cola during the World Cup soccer. But I don't understand why you'd want to be sitting there drinking Coca-Cola during the World Cup soccer. I don't understand it. I mean, like, I, clearly people do want to do it. But I just thought to myself, um, I mean, anything would be better than that. Anything. And I just think parents would be, uh, I mean, would be feeding their kids that. I mean, I've got a grandson now. And uh, I think about the world he's coming into. And and I one of the things that really looms large for me, apart from all the technology that he's coming into, he's going to he probably never get a, he probably never have a car a driver's license because he'll you know they probably by then cars will be automatic and mm-hmm. it will all be self driven. But I think about the food environment for him and what he should be eating, and I I've, I and what he's going to get fed when he goes to school. I mean, two of my episodes on the, on the TV show, the mentor. One of them was about, and one of the ones was about two girls who um, who um, have their own bread. They don't call it a paleo bread, but it is because one's a diabetic and the other one's a gluten intolerant, which is actually um, celiac. And the bread that they produce is absolutely beautiful. It's the best tasting 
bread I've ever tasted, in that, especially in that category. But it's really healthy. It tastes really rich and good, mm. but at the same time, it's good fats, etc. Yeah. And, and you're not getting, you know, you don't you don't feel heavy, heavy as a result of it. And the and the other um, one I spoke to the other episode, it was a girl again who was trying to um, make lunches and little lunch and big lunch for kids at school in primary school mm. that's much more healthy than getting um, pancakes or the sorts yeah. of stuff you get out of the school canteen. And when I thought about my grandson, I thought to myself, gee was I hope um, somebody changes the environment for kids of my grandson's age for when they're growing up because the food, a, a lot of the food that's on mass today is basically garbage. It's crap. Well, here's the, here's the interesting fact is that our children are starting off in this world with compromised immune systems, compromised gut microbiome, right? So you, you hear the stories, oh, my parents ate that and they lived till, they smoked cigarettes, they drank alcohol, they ate bread every day, they lived till blah, blah, blah. But people don't understand that, yes, they did, but they also had children. And if they were smoking and drinking and doing that, generally the gut microbiome of their children will be altered, right? Mm. So then you have this generational decline of gut microbiome or gut health to where we are today and where it's going. Because the grandparents, they didn't have food that was, and when they were born, having food sprayed with glyphosate, which is destroying our gut microbiome. But now the food that we're getting mass has been sprayed with this, which is causing major, major disruptions. <laughs> Talk about disruptions. This is the biggest disruptor is our gut microbiome and what's happening to it. So the old belief system that my parents did it, my grandparents did it, what you're talking about is crap. Yes, they got away with it to a degree, a lot of them. But where are our kids, are they going to get away with it? What happens when they're 30 or 40? You know, we're seeing such a prevalence. Like your two people that you just said, how old were they? In their 30s or 40s yeah, probably? In their 30s. Celiac, diabetic. These things are going to be even more prevalent unless we change something now with their children. You have somebody that has autoimmune issue. And it's really common these days. You hear about it all the time. Mate, it's the fastest growing problem in the Western world. And the what doesn't get spoken about very often is parents who have autoimmune issues. When they reproduce, the kids are way on the back foot as far as their gut microbiome goes a, a lot of the time. And do you think that, and, and would you say the same is happening with our, with our pets? Oh, <laughs> well, our pets would be a different, different story. But, uh, but is you that would one of the say, reasons you, you decided to do this pet food? Yeah, again, it's, it's, it's the Native American Indians would always look, their philosophy was looking seven generations into the future, you know. Where are we looking? If we think about how we reproduce as a species in the Western world today, how much thought has gone in on to preparing the male and the female for that sacred process of bringing another life form onto the planet? How do we ensure that those children have the best possible opportunity for health? Or is it, let's get pregnant, let's have a baby and continue our ways. And once we get that, then you have to stop drinking while you're mm. pregnant and stop smoking. You know, what about the food side of things? What about, All of these things that 
ancient, I won't even call them ancient, but indigenous societies around the world used to, used to really focus on was the coming generations, you know, and we generally don't even think about it from a health point as a health, as a sustainable, as a planetary point of view. Yeah, we think about having a kid as transactional. You know, we're having a kid. Well, you should be having a child. And by the way, I was like that when I had my four sons. I was, it was transactional. I was just thinking, oh, well, that's what I'm here for. I'm married. I'm going to have a kid and just keep having kids. Uh, whereas what you're saying is we probably should think about when we're having a kid, not as a transaction, not something we're doing, a transaction we're having with our partner, but something we are trying to do to make sure that they, and we have responsibility for that child to live a good life, but also we have a responsibility, I think, now I've got a grandson, a responsibility to make sure that everything that child does, that child, everything that child eats and should they should learn about so that when they come to the point where they can have a child themselves, they have this well and truly sort of settled in their mind as to what is the most, most healthy outcome in order, as you say, to be able to protect future generations. Mm-hmm. That, that's sort of a, a far better way to look at the transaction of having a child. I reckon. It's, it's a far better way of thinking about it than just being transactional. So one of the things I get from you is everything you do, you say, and what about this and what about that and what about that? And I don't know how far many steps you go into it, but um, most people, because you know, we have become transactional in everything we do in, in this country, like even Snapchat is transactional. Instagram now is uh, transactional as well. They've introduced a similar sort of thing to Snapchat. Um, by the way, some of the stuff we do digi- digitally, you and I, people coming onto our websites, or it's it's transactional. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a thirty second or a forty second thing or a forty minute thing. It, uh, uh, what's next? What am I going to consume next? And we're not thinking about how does that affect everything else we do. And it's quite interesting. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of uh, what you're talking about, Peter, is a change in the way we think and the way we approach things based on, and I think this is great, Indigenous societies. And one of the things that Indigenous societies certainly haven't experienced is the deterioration in their society as a result of technology. They're not thinking about being transactional. They're not thinking about picking up the phone and looking at um, Instagram or picking up uh, the latest and the greatest they're just doing what they've always done, expressing themselves creatively and having a good, a good, a, a good, simple life, and working with nature and understanding nature. Yeah, and I, I dare say, to anybody listening, and I won't give you advice, but uh, if you can connect with your inner nature and and outer nature of of the planet, and immerse yourself, especially if you have a highly stressful job and you're coming into the city, which is an energetic minefield. <laughs> Mm. you know, uh, get out into nature. And it can be as simple as taking your shoes off. I I was just in New York, uh, filming a month ago and every day that I was there, I would take my shoes off and find a patch of grass to sit in for 20 minutes in the middle of the city. And it could could have been the, the, the size of a two meter by two meters, uh, patch of grass. But I did that because I'd felt like I needed to connect to nature and that might seem strange to people, but I tell you what, it helps me get through that day of being in that environment of however many million people are in there with all the 4G, Wi-Fi and the noise and the pollution and everything. It's just that taking that time out to do something for yourself about reconnecting to yourself and reconnecting to the earth. And that might sound woo-woo, but give it a shot. 
try it for a month or two every lunchtime or whenever you can. Touch the earth and uh, see how you feel. It's funny, I, I, I do that on weekends. I get into my garden, I put take my shoes off, walk around the garden when I'm doing my gardening. Yeah. And what's probably, but I never really thought about it until more recently um, I was listening to Brad Fittler talk about it for the State of Origin side. Yeah. So Freddie's um, got the whole State of Origin side, the New South Wales side. He's been getting to take the shoes off and walk around in the grass. Mm-hmm. And his view is you're absorbing minerals and other things yeah, through the grass and through your feet. Earthing. Yeah, and uh, and obviously it works because we, we won the series. Hopefully we whitewash him in Queensland next week or the week after. But it, it's it's a new thought process. But it's and funny. It. So three years ago they did a story on me in the Daily Telegraph because I was walking around barefoot and they thought I was crazy because I walk around barefoot. Whereas now it's uh, if the sporting people do it, then everything's cool. Well, it's so funny, it's you good. know, cause because a lot of surfers I know, and you know, I know a few surfers from your Maribor way, who train barefoot. Yeah, they even run on the running machine barefoot. Mm-hmm. Um, they take the view that you're a better surfer, a better athlete as a surf, ath, uh, surfing athlete, um, if you are tra- doing all your training barefoot, and it sort of makes sense to me. Of course, it's common sense. Yeah, it is. It is common sense. It's not wacky. It's actually common sense, yeah. but it's not what we are used to because we're usually getting sold a Nike product or a, a, another product to put on your feet. Yeah, this has been fascinating. I've loved every second of it. I wish I could talk to you for hours. I could talk to you for hours. Um, how far up north are you? North near the near the uh, border? You were just near Cabarita Beach. Okay, Cabarita. So, um, what I'd like to do is invite you down to my my property and awesome. have a mag down there some stage. Because when I go up there next, I'd love you to come down and have a see my place and, and I'll, I'll cook you something. Good on you, brother. Brother, thank you. That was great. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 